Well, appreciate you being here this evening. Open your Bibles up to the book of Ephesians, please. And uh, <clears throat> I want to continue just to walk through you, walk through you, walk with you through some of this material uh, that's been new to me. And if I just wanted to be uh, quite frank, thanks for coming out tonight. Seriously, thanks for coming out tonight. Um, my world was turned upside down in 2018. Uh, and I was here right after it, confided into Mark and Teresa, but really in Mark, into Mark most of the time. Um, been in, I've been in full-time ministry since 1995. Uh, and 1995 was when it began, so it was, it was still building. But preaching in 1995 and working with the church in a youth position and was traveling around, and it just grew. Um, and the way that I was describing it <clears throat> to, to people is that, you know, in 1995, I was discharged from the military, and I had some drug problems. And um, a family took me in and just loved on me, poured into me, helped me set some healthy boundaries, and um, ended up taking me to a Billy Graham crusade. And I described it as I had this encounter with the Lord. And it was authentic, an authentic encounter. And it was something I, I don't know I've ever had anything like it. And it, it really um, jarred me. And I immediately began to say, okay, what was that? I'd never had anything like that before. The only other time in my life that rivaled the 1995 season, it was over a period of about three months, was in 2018. And... Uh, I just, it was like I walked into a wall and still in ministry, you know, doing, doing what God had called me to do. And he was just like, you're entering into a new season and I want to begin to do different things through you. And in the last three years, we've just seen a whole new, I don't know how, I, 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 you'd think I'd have this down. This, I mean, I get, this is what I do. But. It's a brand new season, honestly. I mean, we're seeing things in our ministry. We're seeing things as we travel across the country that I've just never seen before. I mean, it's astounding. We're seeing miraculous things, people getting healed. They never saw that before. I mean, just remarkable things. If you follow us in our ministry, you've probably seen some of this that happens, but it's just incredible. And then there's, there's, there's stuff that the Lord's been highlighting to me that I just really never dealt with that I feel pressured in this time. And one of them is, is uh, the spiritual warfare stuff. And I, I just, during COVID, <clears throat> you know, for the first, it was really interesting for me. It was all of April, all of May, all of June, and most of July, I was at home. And I just didn't start binge watching, you know, The Walking Dead, which I know a lot of you senior adults did. But I, I just threw myself into research, and um, I was really interested in some things I, that I had time to study that I never had time to study before. And a lot of them was about our authority, our identity, who we are, specifically in the spiritual realm. One of the things, for those of you who were in the first service, and, and we just really felt the Lord leading in a different direction in the second service. So we looked in the second service, what we were supposed to look in the first service this evening. Sorry. 
but you can catch that in this, this uh, you can watch that again, and they, they live streamed it and all of that. So, But I want to give you just kind of a recap a little really quickly where we're at this morning, is what we find when you get into the book of Ephesians, five times Paul mentions heavenly realms. Some of your translations, it's the heavens, some of them, it's even heavenly places. <clears throat> but it's, it's literally referring to a place. Heavenly, that's why we translate it heavenly realms. It's a compound Greek word. Uh, one is the word heaven, and another is the word place or location. So he's actually talking about a place. And so when you look up the word heaven or heavens in Scripture, you're going to find that it's used all over the place. The first time it's used is in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the and the earth. Those are physical. That is a that is a description of physical creation, contextually. Um, and so we know the earth is physical, but we also know the heavens. There's physical heavens. And you're like, really? And I was like, that's what I said. My head went sideways, and I was like, really? You know, there's physical heavens. And I trace it throughout. I'm not great in Hebrew, but traced it throughout the Hebrew and in the, and in the New Testament, especially where it's really prominent, we find physical descriptions of physical heaven. For instance, when Jesus is talking about the birds of the air don't make nests, you know, but God takes care of them, the, the, tra the translation of the word air or sky, depending on your translation, that's the word heaven, okay? The place where we can, you know, we fly in the planes, that, that, that area up there, that's called, they refer to that as the heavens. That's the word heavens. That's a part of physical creation where the stars and the moon and the planet and all that stuff uh, is located where the sun is. That's referred to as the heavens. That's physical. So we have two main uses of the term heaven in Scripture. There's actually three, but there's two main uses of the word heavens in Scripture. The first is the physical things that we can see. It's in the heavens, the stars in the heavens. Okay, what's going on in the heavens. They refer to that throughout the Old Testament all the time. They look up to the heavens. Those are things you can physically see. And then there's what Paul refers to as the third heaven. And that's actually where God's throne is located, where Paul was taken up and he saw in the heaven, the highest heaven is often how it's described. If you want to read about that, you can read in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, not right now, but you can read in, in those chapters where we know it, it's God's dwelling place. It's where his throne is. Then there's this other heavens, which is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians, and it is this other place where spirit beings are located. And so what we did is we went into the Old Testament <clears throat> and we looked at those kinds of places where spirit beings, angels and demons are located. And we looked in Daniel and we looked Joshua. We looked in um, uh, the Chronicles. Uh, I think it's, uh, was it First Chronicles, Second Chronicles? Try both of them. But we looked in, was it, what, was that, where, where was it at? Yeah. Kings. Was it Kings? Yeah, I was preaching. I don't even know. But it was Second Kings, maybe one of them. And, and, you know, yeah, it was Second Kings. We're looking at Elijah. So you have these places where angelic beings reveal themselves. Okay? And they have a place in the heavens. That's the location where, 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 where Paul is referencing. And we found this morning that we have power and authority, not as Christians, in that realm. In fact, we, it's really interesting the way that Paul talks about it is that that realm is more real than this realm. I know it sounds absolutely bizarre. In fact, that realm causes problems and reveals itself in this realm. 
And oftentimes we find ourselves treating physical things that are caused by spiritual realities. And where you and I have authority is in that realm. And one of the things we discovered, again, just in recap a little bit, is that, you know, my, my, was a question that I had. How did we get all wrapped up in the midst of that? And we go back and look in the beginning and we realize that God created us in the beginning and put us in this Garden of Eden where there were a lot of things that were there. There were angels that were there. Lucifer was there. So I went back to what I did. I went back to the very beginning. And I was like, okay, we're just going to go back to the beginning. I want to know, God has this war going on. you got angels and demons and Lucifer and all this stuff going on. You know, how did we get wrapped up into all this? When did this happen? So I went back to the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. And what I began to find is there's things in the beginning, excuse me, there are things going on before the beginning. I mean, we notice there in chapter 3 that there's Lucifer. And he's not just an angel, he's a fallen angel, which means the whole war that take place, the whole falling of him happened before the beginning ever took place, before we ever came around. And then we trace down in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah 14 some of the details about his creation, that, that, that he was anointed, he was created, ordained by God as a guardian cherub and was, and was created and put in the garden of God, the garden of Eden. It actually says that in Ezekiel 28. You're like, he was a guardian? He was like a, he was a, a wall guard? Yeah, he was a servant. Angels are servants meant to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's us. We are sons and daughters of God. And on Isaiah 14, the fall of Satan came about because he wanted to be like God. Isaiah 14, 14. He wanted to be like God. And then it, it stuck in my mind, and I really do. I believe the Holy Spirit revealed it to me because I'm just not that smart. You ever, you ever preaching stuff and you pause and you go, that had to come from him. I'm not that intelligent. I bet the crowd does it all the time. And the Lord brought to my mind, well, Satan was, he, his fall was that he wanted to be like God. Well, in Genesis 1.26, you and I are created in his image and same, same Hebrew word. Exact same word. How we were created is what Satan wanted, which is why he came after Adam. And Eve, and stole our birthright, deceived Adam, which means, get this is what's crazy, all that Satan took was Adam's realm. Get this. See, and this has just blown my mind, and I'm still walking through this, but we look at like all the things where Satan had in the spiritual realm. We only know some of it from the scripture and, and captivity and death and Hades and all these different kinds of places and, and where he operated in the spirit realm. All of that belonged to Adam. Well, how do you know that? Well, one, Satan wasn't created with authority over all that. So where did he get it? And Jesus came and got it all back. He received it all back and tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me both in the heavens and earth. We are seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Satan wasn't created to do that. Now, all of that should tell you, and there's a number of things to talk about in the midst of that, but all of that should tell you is if you knew who you were, we give, see, Satan is a liar. He is a liar and the father of all lies. He has been completely disarmed. We talk about this great war and this great spiritual battle. There, listen, the war is won. We know that. The battle is over. 
So whenever the enemy comes to you, he's lying to you. He's testing you. That's what he's doing. He has no power and authority over you. He has no fortress. And I give this example because it's what I used to think of Satan in, in the spiritual realm, like with like the Lord of the Rings. He has like Mordor, the great eye of Satan. And these minions. No, he doesn't. Every place, every stronghold that he had, when you go to see literally, and, and, and Paul talks about this in, in the, to the church in Corinth, he literally led captivity captive. He went to the barren places and set them, spoke to the spirits who were in prison and set them free. So if you were to go into the spiritual realm back where Satan used to reign, it has this big police tape around it. This is closed for business. Owned by Jesus. He's in heaven. Go talk to him. So Satan has been completely disarmed, completely disempowered, which is not a word, but it sounds great. He's been completely rendered powerless. You're like, where does he reign today? Well, the New Testament calls it the spirit of this air. It's the spirit of the world. Satan reigns where people let him have authority in their life, which is why he wants in you so bad, which is why he wants to cling on you. And by the way, just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I've been preaching this for about six to eight months, and it's hysterical. You get looks from people, and they're going, read it. I didn't make it up. It's there. So but by the time you come into Ephesians, and Paul really, really stresses this. And so this is kind of an opener, and I want to walk through it with you this evening. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to this statement that Paul makes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is who you struggle against. Your problem is not physical. How would you know that? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The word struggle, you know what it means? Fist fight. Hand-to-hand combat. That's how it's used in the New Testament. Well, that's the old style, the old movies. That's like a terrible fighting scene. You never see that on, you know, UFC. That's the old way they do it. Our struggle is, dude, it's, it's not physical. It's not physical. It's spiritual. I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus is the answer to every physical problem I have. And it's really made me like reconsider prayer. Quite frankly, for the first 24 years of my ministry, I never was a huge praying guy. I use that passage, I'll pray without ceasing. I talk with him all day long, and I do. But to get up and just keep my mouth shut for the first half hour of the day and listen and talk to him. I mentioned this morning, I think it was in the first service. It might have been the second service. I think it was the second service about hearing. You ask people all the time, have you ever been tempted by the enemy? 
where you know at least, okay, I know that the enemy has tempted me. It wasn't just emotions, wasn't this, wasn't that, wasn't a body drive. The enemy has tempted me. I mean, pretty much everybody would raise their hand, and they did this morning. If you can hear the demonic, you can hear the Holy Spirit. Why? You were created to hear and interact with that realm. Shake your heads. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, hey. Turn to one of your neighbors, hey, listen to that guy. Look to your other neighbor and says, he's telling you the truth. Some of you aren't doing it. I should just keep asking you to do it. Yeah, you were created to hear that realm. You were created to interact there. In fact, what Jesus said in terms of, you want to know how to pray? Pray that that, that place comes to earth. Father, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is there. Would you take the whole atmosphere of your throne room and let it just envelop my house? Would you let it just, would you let your presence just settle on my work environment? That's our God-given calling and right as children of God. That, for me at least, that goes a little bit beyond, um, I go to church on Sunday. Come on. Seriously, I just think there's a whole new definition of, of what it means to be a child of God that the Lord just wants us to know about. I think those passages like where Jesus said, the things that I've been doing, you're going to do. In fact, he tells the disciples, you're going to do greater things than I've been doing. That's incredible. My question has always been, how come we don't see it? And I can't blame him, I don't think. How hungry are you? I was, uh, I was in Vermont in end of July. I was preaching at this camp in Ithiel Falls where it's basically, in terms of cellular reception, the 1700s. I would say the 1800s, but it has to be more, it almost needs to sound worse. It's like the first century. I mean, there was no television, there was no internet, there was, in this cabin, it was beautiful, it was gorgeous, it was the mountains, it was wonderful. I still had electricity, praise God. And so that was there, it was a 12-day camp, and I was there for 11 days of it, and kind of had to leave a day early, but, so I was doing some reading, and I was reading this book by this, you know, there's no way about it, no way around it, he's, he's a charismatic guy. But I've been really intrigued by, by some of the things that are taking place and some of the at least more accountable ones. This one guy is really interesting. And he was talking about hearing the Lord. And he said, most people complain that they can't hear God speak. And he, he, gives, he gives all the passages that I found. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Period. So if you say you can't hear him, something's wrong. I would investigate that because you should be hearing him. And so I went after that, and I was reading. I was like, that's really interesting. And then he comes in the middle of it, and he says, I'm convinced most people can't hear from the Lord is because they've trained their ears to be tuned to other things. And then he said specifically their bodies. And I started getting nervous. I come from a long line of men who don't live past 50. My grandpa's dead both grandpas are dead. My dad's dead. I have uncles that are dead. We all die of heart disease. It's crazy because we're all thin. 
you know. But we eat like trash and die from the inside. Everyone in my family, literally everyone, has heart disease. My sister has a leaky heart valve. I don't, that sounds like something in a Mercedes. Uh, my other sister has some type of heart disease. My mom has had, my uncles and my aunts have all had open heart surgeries. All of them. I've had heart problems. And this guy was writing about it, and he was like, in the Old Testament, if you offered God a blemished, diseased sacrifice, it was considered an abomination. He says, how many Christians today offer God a blemished, diseased body to dwell in? Don't read it. It's terrible. It'll, it'll ruin you. I won't even tell you the name of the book. And then he goes on to say, we've trained ourselves. Where the only voice I listen to is my body. And he goes, some, he goes, ask yourself, have you ever really told your body no? No, you are not dictating. You are not determining where we go. Appetites, no. Sex drive, no. I just read an article just somewhere, somewhere on one of those, those social media articles about men think about sex so many times a day. What he's talking about is men who don't know how to say no. They're literally run. Their God is their stomach. You either really like this, you're all going. Yeah, see, I wonder why I can't hear the Holy Spirit. I'm too busy listening to this. That came to an end. I started a new relationship with the treadmill. It's terrible. I broke up from a lifelong dating relationship that I had with McDonald's. <laughs> I told my wife, I called her, I said, I'm breaking up with one of my girlfriends. She goes, which restaurant? I'm like, you know me so well. <laughs> yeah. Because what I'm hearing the Lord saying, you want to hear me speak? Yes. You want to see me move in your life? Yes. How bad do you want it? That's what fasting is. Really quickly, I was preaching at a camp, and this was totally unfair, but I felt like the Lord told me to say it. This was about seven or eight years ago. I was preaching at this freshman uh, teen camp. Well, at a teen camp, senior high camp, and this freshman girl come up to me. And she was that girl that got up an hour before everybody else so she could be ready like, you know, she was going to prom, but it was actually breakfast at camp. And she was that girl. Crazy thing is she's gorgeous. I mean, she was very, she was, she was, she's beautiful, like designed beautifully. And that's it. Actually, in Scripture, not everybody's beautiful. I know your parents are like, well, everybody's beautiful. No, they lie. Okay. No, not everybody's beautiful. Okay. This girl was blessed with beauty. And she had, man, she was, she was hungry for the Lord. And she came to me and she was asking about this and that and the other. And I'm hungry and I want God to speak to me. And I said, how bad? And she goes, I think I'm going to fast. I said, what are you going to fast? I said, don't fast food. Fast something that, like, you really are dependent upon. And she goes, what? I said, what about makeup? She was like. <laughs> she got up the next morning and didn't wear makeup. At the end of camp, she came to me. She goes, how long do you think I should fast? I said, fast the whole next school year. She fasted the whole next school year. I didn't see her forever. I saw her for the first time in seven years. She's still fasting makeup. 
And she came home on furlough from the mission field. How hungry are you? Seriously, come on, grandma, grandpa, all the church crap set aside. How bad do you want to see your grandkids saved? Come on, are we going to get real? Come on, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want to see your community saved? These are the questions my wife and I are asking. You're like, that sounds harsh. No, 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 no. Not eating at McDonald's, that's harsh. I still wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats over those breakfast burritos. But I'm hungry for more than food, man. I want to hear him. I want to know him. Because I believe we were, I, we were created for that realm. A couple quick things about verse 12. You may notice in, the, in verses 11 and 12, the word against is used six times. Take your stand against, for our struggle, struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against authorities, it's against powers, it's against spiritual forces. The word, again, struggle literally means hand-to-hand combat, and against is literally specifically towards someone. There's the, the word against in the original language, pros, is used in the dative, uh, with the dative, a genitive, or accusative. You don't really know or care what that means, but the accusative literally means against, it's a direct object which means I am against something tangible. So our struggle, our battle, our hand-to-hand combat is not with your body. If you're, if you're, I'm telling you, if your eating habits are ruling you, I'm telling you more than likely it's a direct result of the Holy Spirit not being in control of your eating habits and you being in control of your eating habits. Same thing with your sex drive. The same thing with your emotions. It's a tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. That where my battle is in the spiritual realm, it's not in the physical realm. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this body being controlled. My emotions, see, it's this realm. See, we have all these kinds of, you know, we come with physical solutions for these kinds of problems. What if we're just, what if the answer isn't, isn't, what if it isn't physical? What if it's spiritual? So everything that's going on, what I'm trying to tell you, what we looked at this morning and we just touched on here briefly, is that there's a whole, like we were created, we're more than just physical. We're more than physical beings. Everybody is eternal. Everybody is going to live forever. It's where you're going to live is what's being determined in this, in this life. Seriously, everybody's going to live somewhere. So we were created to interact with that spiritual world. Paul talks about it his entire book, and then he comes down to verses 10 through 20, and he talks about the, specifically the spiritual warfare. And we've, I've divided this up to talk about it in specific ways because there's a lot here. From verses 10 down through verse 20, there are three commands, three imperatives. It's the strongest grammar that they have for a command, okay? So there are three, three imperatives, there are two infinitives, and there are eight participles, okay? 
This evening, we're going to look at the three commands. So in verses 10 down through verse 13, verse 12 is kind of the nugget place. Okay, it's like, it's pretty much everything revolves, it's this statement. He begins and he says, finally, in, 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 the, in the flow of his letter, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then he tells us to put on the armor of God. And then he says, for, in verse 12. And whenever you find the word for or therefore, you need to see why it's therefore. That's verse 12. And then you reach out of verse 12, and then he says, therefore, again, and moves on with the whole deal. So verse 12 was really important that we need to understand that our hand-to-hand combat is not physical, that it's spiritual. That there are literally spiritual forces that are trying to eat your lunch. Seriously. There are spiritual beings that that is your enemy. In fact, so much so, you have to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because not every thought that comes in your head is going to be from you, nor is it going to be from the Holy Spirit. We good? You are so stoic. You're all probably professors in some philosophy school. So let's look tonight at the three commands in verses 10 down through verse 13. The first command that he gives us in verse 10 is, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What I want to do is I want to look at what these mean. Kind of look at the definitions, look at the word, what he, what he means in the command, what, what kind of command it is. And then we're going to give a couple examples of what that might look like. He says again, be strong. And that's a command. And it's interesting because it's a command and scholars are divided on this. And I don't know enough Greek to be able to tell you which is right. But be strong is a command in the passive. And there, although there are, I think... There has to be some, you know, imperative passives. It's a command to be something, okay? Most of the time, it's a command to do something for yourself. So you can translate this either be strong or make yourself strong. I mean, you could also say become strong. I don't know, some of us probably have some, a variety of translations, but Without spending a lot of time on this, I think we understand what he's trying to say. Strengthen yourself, man. Come on, make yourself strong. Be strong in this. And he's saying in two things. The first thing is in the Lord and in his power. Now, there's a consistency. You are to become strong in him and his power. You are not to become strong in your own personality. You're not to be strong in your own will. You're not to be strong in any fleshly attributes. This isn't a personality thing. This isn't a talent. And this, this, this is obvious, actually, uh, young people. And, and, and the, you know, If you would ask your grandparents' age who've been walking with the Lord around the church for a long time, anyone who's been here for a long time can tell you there's a difference between physical talent and spiritual anointing. And there's no amount of physical talent that can replace spiritual anointing. You just can't mimic God. You can't create what only he can create. You can't produce what only he can produce. And we've all read umpteen times in the scriptures how you and I do not live according to the flesh, but we live according to the spirit. The flesh cannot produce the things of God. Period. So you and I have to be strong, but we, have to, we don't have to be strong. It's not this stuff. Wouldn't it be neat if we could, see, wouldn't it be neat if we could parent without the flesh? 
Why do I need to raise my voice? Maybe I don't need to. I was counseling a woman not, not long ago. She's a tiny, and most of the time, tiny women struggle with rage and anger. Seriously. You say, why? I've heard so many little, tiny things. These tiny little women. Well, the only way they'll listen to me is if I just... You realize when you're sourced by anger, you can't be sourced by the Holy Spirit. So you're leaning on the flesh to accomplish something that the Holy Spirit's supposed to accomplish. It is. It's wonderful. It's freeing. This is the thing that he's talking about. So literally, I'm to strengthen myself, not in my resolve. I'm not to strengthen myself in anything physical. I'm getting ready to preach, down a couple energy drinks. <laughs> Come on. That's not the idea. I'm to strengthen myself in him. Let me give you a couple of these passages. And I want to look at both of them out of John's gospel. If you have your, if your Bible, I think this is so good. Look with me at John chapter, actually just go to John 13. And then go back a few verses. I want to start reading at verse 44. I think this is fantastic. I don't know if you've ever done this, but there's been times I went back and I really, how did Jesus know that? How did Jesus know that? How did he do that? He's in chapter 12, he's in this big time argument with the leaders of Israel. And verse 44 reads, then Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I wonder if we, honestly, this is an honest question. I want that to be me. I want when people hear me, they hear him. Listen as he, as he extrapolates this, verse 45 Verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that the one who believes in me shouldn't stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. Which literally means I'm not going to blow my top. This is not about me. For I do not come to judge the world but to save the world. And by the way, that, that translation there of judge is not the best. It should be condemn. Those who don't believe in him, he said, I'm not going to condemn him because I didn't come to condemn the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. That's the whole, the idea is condemnation in the whole passage, not just judgments. So he's not just talking about I'm going to judge him, call him, no. It's literally life and death here, okay? He says there is a judge for the one who rejects me and doesn't accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn at the last day. Listen to this, verse 49. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me not only what to say, but how to say it. That's insane. That Jesus had such a dependency. He was so strong in the Father that he not only knew what to say, but the tone in which to say it. Verse 50, I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just exactly what the Father told me to say. See, what Jeremiah, what does it mean to be, make myself strong in the Lord? Don't open your mouth 
unless it's him speaking. Well, I'd never talk. Thank you, Jesus. Seriously, there's only one thing that could shut me up. That's that. And I've been doing that. Unless I know it's from the Lord, keep my mouth shut. I've, I've struggled over the years. Man, I want to be passionate. You know, how many, you know how many people I've hurt from being passionate? Well, I can't help it. I'm driven. I'm driven. Well, I can't find anywhere in the scriptures where you're supposed to be driven. We're supposed to be spirit-led. Don't be passionate. It's way overrated. Be led by the spirit. Yeah, my passions are fiery. Like James and John, the sons of thunder, I've, yeah, I've called down fire on a few places. Did it happen? No, because it was passion. You're not supposed to be passionate. It's not bad to be angry, but you cannot let anger dictate how you talk to your husband or your wife. Because when anger dictates how you talk to them, the Holy Spirit does not. Yeah, hold your tongue. You don't have to win the argument. If you go back even um, a few chapters before that about being strong in the Lord, Jesus says it for the first time actually in John chapter 5. And it's incredible. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite Greek words that's used in the New Testament. It's the Greek word pimpo. Now, when, I th- when you think of pimpo, what do you think of? Some brave soul. What do you think of when you think of pimpo? You think of pimp. Back in my reckless days, I named this sermon Pimp Daddy Jesus. Yeah. Lord, help me. The negative connotation of pimp, of pimpo, is the pimp. The pimp the negative connotation of this word is expressed in the word where we get our word pimp, and it's the idea of an oppressor who never really leaves the proximity of the one being oppressed. So he watches her, he overshadows her, he controls her, he's always there, present. That's the negative use of this term. The positive use of it is here. There's two different words for sending, main words for sending in the New Testament. One is apostello which is sent with great authority, has you the, which we translate apostle. It's, it's where a king takes this emissary, this apostle, who literally goes in the authority of the king and speaks a message. And that's apostle. But the word pimpo is very different. Where the king will pimpo somebody is the king sends this one with a great authority also to deliver a message. But when the messenger leaves, the king goes down and accompanies the messenger. He's always present. Now, with that in mind, listen to how Jesus talks. Jesus says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. You're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you mean whoever believes, whoever hears your word and believes you. No, 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 no. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. Well, that sounds weird. That sounds like when you speak, he's right the word sent there, whoever hears my word and believes him who pimpoed me, has eternal life. 
Because the, wherever Jesus is, the Father is. Why? Because Jesus would not trust any aspect of himself. He only trust the, trusted the Father. See, what, what Paul is talking about in our passage, when he says, be strong in the Lord, he's like, listen, don't trust yourself. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your bodily drives. Come on, don't trust your bodily drives. Don't trust your emotions. My emotions are almost always wrong. So I just don't, I have them. I believe Jesus had them. He just didn't listen to them. I'm not going to be dictated by how I feel. Because in two hours, after a strong cup of coffee from Starbucks, I'm going to feel completely different. Because they're up and down. He's consistent. So when he says, be strong in the Lord, he's saying, press into him. And then he adds, and in his power. Which means I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to, I'm a control person. I'm a fixer by nature. I want to get into control. I want to bring things in my, under my power. And I've mistakenly raised my kids under that for a season. It's not, it's not we don't rely on our own strength. One of the beautiful examples of this is in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter stands up at Pentecost and it's and I won't go back and read it for time, but it was this long, it was this big long event where the spirit lands on on the um, on the tw- on 120, and they were not up in some upper room somewhere. They were actually out in the open. Okay, they had been praying and they were all together. But Luke tells us at the end of his gospel, before he begins the book of Acts, that every day they were in the in the temple testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. And on the day of the Lord, bam, the day of Pentecost, in the temple, the Spirit fell on them, and they all began to prophesy, and everybody heard it, because they were down there. And the reaction to it was interesting. People thought they were out of their mind. They were curious. Some people thought they were drunk. And so Peter stands up and says, dude, we're not drunk. It's like 9 a.m. Bars ain't even open yet. And he says, but what you are witnessing is what was promised to our forefathers. And he preaches out of the book of Joel. And then he comes down to verse 22 and he says this, Men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth was a man, was an anthropos, is a Greek word. He was a man, a human being, one of these things. In fact, I probably should read it just so I can get the, everything right. Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. The disciples, do you want to know who Jesus is? Dude, he was, a, he was proven to be a man in whom God moved through. Jesus did not have any other abilities than you did. He's fully, completely God who literally emptied himself, as Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself of everything that would differentiate himself from you. He was not born in a sinful relationship with God, but he was born with a broken body just like yours and mine. He was born with like eating habits that didn't, that didn't submit to God. He longed for Krispy Kreme donuts. Had to say no. He had a fallen body. And he never sinned. He didn't have like 
he wasn't like Superman. He wasn't, there's all kinds of attributes that as God, before he took on flesh, he had that he didn't have as a human being because you and I don't have them. He wasn't omnipresent. There's nowhere in scripture where Jesus says, listen, they're in Galilee. Listen, we're going to go down to Jerusalem and I'm already there. He never says that. He had to foot it like everybody else. He wasn't omniscient. He didn't know everything. The disciples asked him, when are you coming back? What did Jesus say? Beats me. Only the Father knows. He's walking through a crowd of people, and a woman who has a bleeding issue touched his robe, and he was healed. He stops his hold on. Power went out from me. What happened? He didn't know. Well, then how did he know what he knew? The Father. All of his miracles. This is what Peter is saying. He was the event by where the Father, he asked the Father. He relied upon the Father. Jesus came, emptied himself of everything that would differentiate himself from you, and then lived the life that you're going to live. And then told the disciples, you're going to do exactly what I've been doing. Isn't that phenomenal? You're to rely on that kind of power. You and I are to live supernaturally. This is where I, I believe you should be risky. Just go lay your hands on people. Pray for them. You're going to get it wrong. I got it wrong today. I'm on my way home, and there's this guy walking down the street. There's some rough places going through West Virginia or Huntington. And this guy is walking down the street, and he's got his hand on his heart. And I was like, what in the world? So I pulled over, and you can't just pull over and drive against traffic. Man, they get upset. Trust me. So I went around the block, which ended up being a really big, huge, long. They didn't have a street. It was a mess. Ended up coming out, catching back up to him. And he stumbled. I pulled him on the side of the road, and I jump out. And I'm like, are you okay? And he goes, he jumped. He's like, wow. I was like, are you all right? He's like, I'm fine. I was like, you, you have heart problems? I'm, this is 100% how it went. He's like, no. I'm like, why are you walking like that? He's like, I always walk like this. Stop walking like that. And I get my car. I'm like, I was, you could have kept me looking like an idiot. I mean, I am an idiot, but you could at least hide it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to pray for this guy. I thought he's having a heart attack on the side of the road. That's just how West Virginia people walk, I guess. <laughs> That's a true story. I wasn't going to tell anybody, but it's a perfect illustration. But you're going to get it wrong, man. But he says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. Dude, press into him. Deny, deny yourself. That's what Jesus said. Hey, listen, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, die to themselves, and follow me. Come on, man. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want him? There's no pressure. Ten people all the time say, oh, I'm hungry. Are you really? How hungry are you? Come on, how hungry? Oh, I want to see my grandkids. Do you really? No, you don't. Then they get offended. Show me. We're talking about it. Do it. How hungry are you? This is what he's talking about. Come on, be strong in him. Just press into him. Give up, give up Fox News. It's a tough one. Give up Facebook. Give up social media. Give up binge watching The Walking Dead, senior adult. 
That's the first command. The second command is actually, it's interesting. If you look at verse, um, where are we at here? If you look at verse 11 and 13, you'll see the, the English phrase, put on. He says in verse 11, final, uh, verse 11, put on the full armor of God. And then in verse 30, therefore put on the full armor of God. What's really neat is you don't know this from the English, but those are actually two completely different Greek words. Two different put, putting ons. They're both commands. One you're supposed to put on the armor of God and the other one you're supposed to put on the armor of God. But they're two different commands. The first one, when he says put on the full armor of God, that Greek word for put on is, it's literally like putting on a shirt. It's a relax, it's, I, I, train, I, I view it as a resting idea. It's like you're just to put it on. So your first act of war, you're getting ready to go to battle, are you ready? Put your shirt on. It's, it's literally, it's, but it's more than just put your shirt on, it's like sink into it. When it, it, it's, it's one of the words that's used for Jesus literally being embraced by the clouds in his ascension. You're like, that doesn't sound really aggressively warfare-ish. Well, again, look at who we're fighting, the enemy. He's already beaten. It's like you're getting ready to go into battle with the enemy. What do you do? I don't know. Kick your feet up. Relax. Let your heart reek. Put on your robe. Oh, I'm ready. That's about how much t- attention he needs. He's defeated. He says, put on, rest. It's interesting that, again, it's coming back to this idea that you don't have to get psyched up. This has nothing to do with you. One of my favorite passages on this is 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where I, I, I mentioned this this morning, I believe. But he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, when you received from, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Learn to control, he mentions another place, learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. That thing you carry around, this, it's not yours if you're a Christian. Now, you, it can be yours and you could be a religious person that shows up to church on Sunday. We got a ton of those. But if you want to be a child of God, that body is not yours. It's not yours. It's his. You were bought with a price. Your very identity is changed. In fact, to Nicodemus, Jesus says you're born again. You're a brand new creation. I mentioned this this morning in the second service. Your past your past does not belong to you. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your past, he took everything that made you the way you are, and gave you everything that made him who he is. That's the, that's the, that's the miracle of salvation. Well, what did he do with my past? It's none of your business. It's in his footlocker. And you don't have access to it. The, people all the time, you've heard all the time, people say, well, the enemy doesn't have access to your past. That's true. If he comes and reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. We've all heard that. That's true. The enemy does not have access to your past. You don't have access to your past either. It's not your past. 
It's his past. He nailed it to the cross. It doesn't belong to you anymore. So every time you try to reach for your past, the Holy Spirit should go, it's not yours. If you try to reach into your past and own that, you are literally stealing from Jesus. That's huge. Well, then what's my past? I have a new past. I have a new father. I have a new bloodline. The things that were passed down from me from my parents, they're not mine anymore. That's huge. There's freedom. Well, you don't understand. My, my parents were alcoholics. Doesn't, doesn't, hey, doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. Well, I was abused. So was I. I got in trouble for this recently, but it's, I, sooner or later it has to be said. You have to stop walking around as a victim. Because you're not a victim anymore. Well, you don't know what's happened to me. Nor do I mean, in a manner of speaking, nor do I care. Because it does not have to define you. Do you know how good that is? You don't have to walk around as soiled goods because you're not. Yeah, but the enemy comes to me. He's a liar. Say, shoe fly, don't bother me. You do not have permission to talk to me. In the name of Jesus, go. It's a 100% true story. Before I, when I come into any motel room, or house for that matter, but any motel room especially, I anoint all the rooms. I, 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 rooms. <laughs> I'm not staying in some grand luxury. But bathroom, whatever. I anoint the whole place, all the windows, everything. I ran, in fact, this week I ran out of anointing oil, but I always carry those little diffusers. So, because I like the same smell. So it's like I was anointing it with lavender. Holy Spirit was like, I love lavender. I don't know if he said that, but I was anoint all the rooms. And I just say, Jesus, you told me when I come into a house, let your peace rest on the house. I put, put your angels here. Give me rest at night. Let this be a safe haven where I can rest and hear your voice. I pray for that. I was in a motel, 100% true story. I was, uh, I was sleeping one night, and I woke up. I literally woke up to hearing, I hate Jesus. And as I woke up, I woke up, and I was like, I woke up and I said, I don't hate Jesus. And I felt, I just felt there was something in the room. And I was like, I went, oh, what are you doing in my room? Get out of here in the name of Jesus. Stop waking, don't ever come back. And I rolled everyone to sleep. Then I got up in the morning, I anointed the room. We all get attacked from time to time. But he sounds nothing like the Holy Spirit. You ever, the Holy Spirit and the demonic sound nothing alike. False guilt, self-hatred, condemnation, you're a loser. Just don't tolerate any of that. Don't tolerate any of that. You put on the full armor of God. What's the full armor of God? Him. He's literally my refuge. In, in, literally, in Christ. I had this one. This is beautiful. I was thinking about this the other day. A buddy of mine was talking to me about being involved in youth ministry, and he was like, man, that's a, that's a real risky thing. I'm like, why? He goes, man, you can, accusations, they can stick, even if you're not guilty. I went home, and I was talking to the Lord about that, and I had a spirit of fear. It was literally a spirit, and I didn't recognize it at first. And then it dawned on me. So anybody... The, de- the demonic could send plants. If I, was, if I was the demonic, if I was Satan, I would send plants at every teen camp. Two. 
two girls, for example, and I would smuggle them in, and I would have both of them at different times make accusations against the male speaker. He did this. And then have another one come out the next debate, yeah, he did the same thing to me. Even if it couldn't be proven, that guy would be ruined. Well, Jeremiah, why are you, why are you releasing, why are you talking that out loud? Because he can't. He's not allowed. He's not dumb. Well, why doesn't he attack you? He's not allowed. I'm in Jesus, man. My past, my present, my future is hidden in Christ. That's phenomenal. He cannot touch you. The only areas of your life that he can touch are areas that are not in him. You know what those areas are called? It's three letters. S-I-N. Sin. Sin is not just a physical deed. It's a spiritual doorway where the enemy can enter in your life and wreak havoc. Just nod. Be like, that's good stuff. Yeah, the enemy can't get to me unless I have open doors in my life. Dude, he is a crack. He'll bring in everything. Wow, you must live a really narrow life. I live a great life. I'm just living with Jesus. He's phenomenal. He's a strong tower. The life he lived, I can live. And I am, I'm living the dream. So I put on, Who, what do you put, what's your armor? Him. I put him on like a shirt, man. And the enemy literally has no, one of my favorite passages, I don't know if I could pull it up, but it's at the end of Jesus' ministry. I need to put this in my sermon. But in, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's getting ready to go off and he's talking to his disciples and he says, in, in the last supper scene, and he's, after he does all the washing, he's talking to them and he goes, this very night, I'm going to be arrested. The prince of this world is coming. And then he looks at them and he says, but he has no hold on me. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. Yeah, the enemy's coming. Dude, what? He has no hold on me. Why? Because I'm his. Dude, I'm his. And I'm telling you, and this is a warning, especially for you college students, you get hungry, you get excited. Jesus, I want to be used. You realize the higher you, you ever heard, there's a phrase that a lot of leaders in, in churches use, another level, another devil. If you cannot steward the anointing that you want, he will not give it to you. Not because he's stingy, but because he's protective of you and you'll get hurt. Not everybody makes it through SEAL training. And it's not because the Navy's mean. It's because you'll get over there and be killed. And some people just aren't hungry enough. They're not willing to die. Seriously, I believe anybody can be used. I believe God, God just says, listen, come to me. How bad? Put on the full armor of God. All of that. That term literally has to do with resting in him. The last put on, which is the third command, is it's literally to take up. It's actually combined with the first word, but they add another word to it, a preposition, which means up. So it's literally put on and take up. It's used over and over to describe the ascension of Jesus. 
And it literally means to pick up and wield this resting. Which means when you go to war, this is so good, you guys. When you go to warfare against the enemy, you pick up and you put on Jesus. You literally just implement Christ. One of my favorite examples of this is Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They're on their way to a place of prayer. And, and you got this woman, if you remember the scene, this young girl has been, she's been oppressed. She has a spirit by which she predicts the future. You remember the passage? And she's prophesying over, over um, Paul and Silas and their whole team. And he's saying, these men are telling you the way to be saved. And they're servants of the most high God and all of this. In fact, when you get in the passage, you almost realize that she's not taunting. She's actually like championing. And that's not the demon speaking through her. She, can re- she realizes, listen to these guys. And I, I believe it's the kind of thing, don't end up like me. And Paul turns around and casts the demon out of her. Well, if you look at the passage, what does that mean? She's no longer able to be exploited by her owners. And that's why they attack Paul and Silas. So what did he do? He set her free. It's a beautiful story. So the whole the group, they drag him into town. Some of the townsfolk jump in on him. They beat them, they put them in, they flog them, they put them in stocks and throw them in the inner cell. It's been a horrific, long, dreadful, beating, horrific day that most Americans don't understand. And it says in verse 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Violent earthquake happens, God shows up, blows all the prison doors open, and a jailer ends up getting saved. What is that? That's wielding the armor. Yeah, I, I rest in Jesus. He's my, safe, he's my safe place. I just don't ever leave his presence. Well, what about when you wield? Oh, I wield his presence. Yeah, I go to war in prayer. I ask for your direction. I don't open my mouth unless I know it's him. That's wielding prayer. That, that's wielding armor. I'm just going to unleash Jesus all over you. This is some time ago, but I was, uh, it's a 100% true story. I was getting on the highway, and I've been talking about everybody's been moving to Nashville. It's just exploding. And so they're doing all this construction and widening the roads and, like, used to take us like 10 minutes to get in town. Now it takes us 20, and it's just all this traffic. So there's, like a, there's, there's always a backup every morning when I'm going into our training center to teach. It's, there's always backup, you know, on the highway. And this is some time ago, but I wasn't paying attention, playing on my phone. I've repented. And uh, I hear this loud honk. And I look up, and I've drifted halfway in the other lane. Actually, I'm in the fast lane. I drifted halfway in the other lane, and there's this, I almost ran this guy off the road, and he's honking his horn and yelling at me, telling me I'm number one. And I felt terrible. I mean, he was in rage. Well, we end up stopping before we get to the turn off my exit, and we're just sitting on the freeway side by side. And he's looking at me. And he's just yelling and just, and I was like, I'm sorry. I repent. I threw my phone down. And I just unleashed the full armor of God on him. I just loved him. I repented. I said, Lord, I didn't cause that within him, but I popped the bottle cap and all that spewed out. 
He's clearly got issues. But I do not want him going to work like that. And so he looked, I honked the horn. He looked at me and I said, I'm sorry, man. He's like, Bruh. So I honked the horn again. And he looked at me and I went. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. And he was like. And he kind of got a little bit of a smile and he just went. So I honked the horn again and he looked at me and I went. And then no matter what I did, every time I honked the horn, he wouldn't even look at me. He just sat there with this weird looking smile on his face. And I did, I just loved him. I did not, ref, I did not, dude, I didn't rely on the flesh. I didn't allow my masculinity to be threatened. I know who I am. I'm in him. And I took him and unleashed him in the situation. And we drove off. And I bet he did. I bet he went to work, was like, dude, you're never going to believe what happened to me this morning. There's a psycho. Wouldn't it be neat if we could infuse him into the atmospheres in which we walk? Wouldn't it be beautiful? If you could walk into your, your grandkid or your children's bedroom at night and just say, I have a right in the name of Jesus to be in this room. That you've given me authority and a position of authority over this child. And I plead your blood over their life. Satan, you cannot have him. You cannot have her. Open their eyes. And you wake up in the middle of the night, man, you just, oh. The older you get, get, get ready. You'll pee four times a night. It's wonderful. It's just more time to pray. Some of them are five and six times a night. That's why they're falling asleep in their chair. But, but the point is, is I do every night that I get up to go to the bathroom. I walk to the bathroom, then I go to my daughter's room, and I just pray over I go over my son's room and I just pray over, I praise over. I go in the living room and turn the TV on and have the iTunes playing, just worship in our home. Then I go back and go to bed. And in two hours, I get to do it all over again. It's just opportunity to pray. That's your weapon. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. People all the time say, man, when Jesus prayed, wow. When you pray, you're the same. So number one, if you have any sin in your life tonight, if you have any area of your life that Jesus is speaking to you about right now, that's got to go. It has to go. You can't live a double life. You cannot be ruled by money. You can't be ruled by your emotions. You can't be ruled by your stomach. You can't be ruled by your sex drive. You, You just can't be ruled by anything but him. You just can't. I will not be ruled by my body. I can't afford it. And for me, I, I just being honest, I don't even know if this is probably not even healthy spiritually altogether, but I do love him, but I am also afraid to let my body rule me. Seriously, I have drives. It's not like I don't have those things. But there's no way because I know what comes with it. You live out of that, I know what comes with it. There's no way, dude. There's no way. I'm not letting that in my home. I'm not letting that in my house. And I have. I've talked to young people that say, I struggle with this and this and this. 
I wonder what mom and dad's letting in the home. Yeah. When I go, I told pastor this, when I go stay with people, I'm going to know what you're struggling with. Because that spirit's going to be living in your home, it's going to come and tempt me. And when I don't struggle with that, and all of a sudden start struggling with that, we're going to have a talk. Seriously, I just go sit down, the, I just go sit down at the table. So, you wouldn't believe the dream I had last night. And then you look on their face and they're like, I can go get a motel or we can talk about this. See, I, I think sensitivity to the spirit is not as spiritual as we make it sound. I think it's the normal lifestyle of every child of God. And the closer we walk with him, you see what people struggle with. I, Jesus was at the woman at the well. He was around her and he was like, how many husbands you had? <laughs> we look at him in an amazement. But can you imagine the spiritual stuff that was clinging onto her? See, I believe we're entering into a season where you and I can be sensitive with discernment. I'm not any smarter than I've always been. I'm just closer to him. Trevor and I and Mark were talking tonight just about the close of the service. And we work as, at the training center. We have, a, we have a team. And it's not all led by one person. I love that. I think that's biblical. So we just all kind of just, Trevor and I and Mark just talked about it. About, hey, at the service tonight, let's just leave room for the Holy Spirit. And uh, maybe you need to come and pray about something. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Okay? If you have to leave, it's 830. I totally get it, you know. But maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to come and say, hey, you know what? Boy, he put his finger on something and it just really spoke to me. God's really dealing with me about slander. About forwarding those social media memes onto my friend who make fun of this person. Because I'm sure that's what Jesus does. Ask him, let him bring those things up in your life. What catches my eye? Where is my heart divided? Jesus, you got to take everything out of our life tonight that doesn't belong to you. In the name of Jesus. You have to take everything out of our life tonight that doesn't belong to you. Holy Spirit, come and inspect. Come and speak. Come and reveal the areas of our life where we don't look like you. Come and reveal, Father, the areas of our life where we're vulnerable to attacks to the enemy. Jesus, you give me hope. You were the only spirit-sourced man on the face of the planet, which means every demonic being 24-7 was after you. And you said, the prince of this world is coming but he has no hold on me. Father, I want no one to have a hold on me but you. Hide me in you, Jesus. Thank you for crucifying my past. That's already done. I don't have to ask you to hide it. I don't have to ask you to protect me. My, my past is hidden in you in the name of Jesus. Hide my present and my future in you, Jesus. Guide my steps. Father, we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're not going to fear. Why? Because you are with us. Thou art with me. 
Father, I pray that you would empower me with kingdom insight, kingdom discernment. Father, I pray you would empower us, Father, with the ability to lay hands and set captives free. I think of a young man tonight whose face, I saw him and his whole face is breaking out. I believe you're revealing to me that he's got demonic stuff going on inside of him. There's torment there. Father, would you provide a way for his deliverance? Would you orchestrate, I ask, Father, as your son, would you, would you orchestrate, would you orchestrate, Father, the right people in his life to come and set free? In the name of Jesus, I ask, bring it to pass in his life. Father, I pray for those of us who are in this room tonight. I pray you would, as you reveal, as you reveal, we just confess it. Would you, could you do something as radical tonight as heal marriages? Could you do something as radical tonight as reveal people who live by us or live in our context of everyday life that you want to use us in their life? In the name of Jesus. <clears throat> I pray that you would empower the young adults, the young couples. They would, be, they would begin their marriage journey with you. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, compromise. They wouldn't tolerate. They would put things like tithe first. They would put things like relationship with you first. Prayer first. They would become hungry for your word. They'd become young men and women who correctly handle the word of truth. Father, these are the things that are on our heart tonight. Holy Spirit, come. We plead your blood, Father, over our lives, over this service. Move and work on our behalf. So heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you'd like to respond and come down and pray, you can. If you want to pray in your seat, you can. We're just going to kind of tarry here. Trevor's going to lead us before the throne. And let's just, let's just linger in his presence. If you'd like to come and pray, we'd love to give you that opportunity. In a few minutes, Pastor Mark's going to come, and uh, we're going to close. Let's just linger in his presence.